All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. It is Liberty Bowl Eve for us. We're going to talk a lot about Texas Tech today. We're going to talk about the bowl game. But let me go ahead and get you started with the latest information that I have from Mississippi State officials game is expected to be played tomorrow as scheduled. Now, there's people kind of gun-shy out there. Steve, what are you hearing? And there's always somebody that hears something. Now, that's not to say that we're going to be 100%. I expect us to be short a couple players, but I don't think it's going to be anything that uh, will push us anywhere close to canceling. And uh, from what we're hearing on the Texas Tech side, it looks like they're good to go too. So there's been a lot of moving and shaking with these bowl games here in the last few days. And I know at the end of the day, all you care about is seeing the Bulldogs play. So, as we record this around 3 o'clock today, which is later than I wanted to be, but, uh, you know, life and duty calls. But, um, yeah, so the plan is at this point we're going to play. And it's weird that we're even having this conversation. You know, it it just – it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit because we have played the entire season without any issues. Or, or, let me just say, very, very limited issues. Mississippi State hadn't had any issues. Southeastern Conference hadn't had any issues. And then Texas A&M, the first one, opt out. You know, of course, they said it wasn't just COVID-related. They've got some injuries. they got some guys that are opting out for the draft and that sort of stuff. The thing that I think is interesting about all this opt-out stuff, and somebody made mention of this over on the Jeans Page boards, and I never thought about it either. Why is it always the juniors opting out and not the seniors? And I can't really offer you a good explanation. 
it's just interesting. Just about every junior that declares doesn't play in the ball game. You know, we're not having Martin Emerson or Charles Cross play, but, you know, the guys that are seniors on this team expected to play. It's just weird. Why is, why is that the case? Maybe one of you guys can offer a good explanation. I, I can't really come up with one. Why do the seniors go play the game and then the juniors can't? And that's not a Mississippi State phenomenon. That's just something we're seeing in college football. And, and let me tell you this. I get it. I understand it from all sides, and everybody has to make a decision for themselves. But if I was playing college football, I'd play the ball game. That's me. I don't care if we're in the playoff or not. I don't care if we're going to the Birmingham Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, the Independence Bowl, the Toilet Bowl, whatever. If there's another game being played, I'm going to be out there with my team. Now, granted, my team would probably understand. They may regret the fact that I'm not playing if I chose not to, but I think my teammates would expect me to play. But, again, I can't speak for anybody else. But as for me, I would play in the bowl game. I understand every one of these young people, when this whole process started – for most of them, as juniors in high school. The dream of one day of having the opportunity to play Division I football was something that perhaps seemed to be maybe elusive. Well, then you get the chance, you pick up a handful of offers, you get a chance to play in the Southeastern Conference, say, hey, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. And now we get down to the end, and it's like, well, you know, I don't know. And again, I'm not being critical of anybody else. I'm just speaking from my own heart and what I would do. But I'd play in the bowl game. Also, you know, understanding people say, well, you know, there's life-changing money out there. I get that too, but, you know, these guys are in football shape. It's not like we're asking them to go play, you know, in the summer. You know, it just, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about it, but I just know that if it were me, because of the competitor that I am and the belief that I have in myself, I would play. I would. Now, I also don't have, uh, you know, agents in my ear telling me this is what you need to do. And uh, there have been very, 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 very few situations where we've seen a guy get injured in a bowl game and ultimately negatively impact his draft status. There have been a couple, okay? But, you know, think about our own Jeff Simmons. I love Jeff Simmons to death. I know you guys do as well. Jeff Jeff projected to be a first-round draft pick, played in the ball game. Jonathan Abram projected to be a first-round draft pick, played in the ball game. Montez Sweat projected to be a first-rounder, played in the ball game. All right? So – don't hit me with, well, you know, first-round money. They got to sit out. They didn't. Now, we lost the ball game. We did, but they played. There was never even really any question about them playing. They went out and played. And then Jeff gets hurt working out to get ready for the draft, and he still ended up being a first-round draft pick, and, and he has certainly played up to that potential, and the Tennessee Titans are going to have to pay him handsomely to keep him. But the reality of all this is, is, you know, we could get injured walking down the street. Simple as that. And so, you know, again, I can't speak for anybody else, but speaking for me, I'd play in a bowl game. And it appears today there will be a bowl game. And, it, again, it's very stressful. I mean, I, I know you guys love college football like I do, and it's like, okay, I'm so excited about bowl season because I get to see a lot of games pretty much every day and get a chance to watch some teams I don't ordinarily see and matchups that rarely ever happen. And then all of a sudden, these things start popping up. You're like, what is, what is happening? What is going on? Did we rewind the clock a year? I don't understand. And I understand there's these you know, protocols and the CDCs involved, and I'm not going to get political with you guys whatsoever. Everybody's got a decision to make for themselves. But um, it's just weird that we can go through the entire season and have very, very few issues with games getting canceled or rescheduled or anything like that. 
And then we get to bowl season, and now all of a sudden, eh, not, not, not exactly sure we want to play. And there's a part of me, too, and I many of you probably feel the same way. I don't know that it's all COVID-related. I think it's losing-related. Maybe not for everybody, but I think for some, it's like, oh, man, we got these guys that have COVID, and you know, we've got guys that are opting out for the draft. We've got guys that have transferred out. We're going to go out there and get embarrassed. Well, you know what? That's part of competition. So because there's a chance of me losing, I'm not going to play? Come on. It says a lot about people. It really does. I'm going to go play. That's the thing I respect about Mike Leach. Left up to Mike Leach, he'd go play with 11 that had to go both ways if he had to. Guy's a competitor. Now, there may be some decisions that pop up at times that, that are beyond his control, like we had last year when we had to reschedule the Auburn game because we only had a couple scholarship linemen available due to the contract tracing rules. But the bottom line is, is Mike Leach wants to compete. I, mean, I would say half the games last year we played with less than 50 players last year you don't think i mean will rogers good to go from what i understand you don't think that mike leach if like let's say will rogers couldn't play tomorrow you don't think that that mike leach wouldn't coach up chance levertich or saw robertson and say let's go let's go fellas let's go win a ball game i have no doubt in my mind that he would i think mike would go out there and play with you know a team of walk-ons if he had to you know, Mike Leach is not a guy that makes a lot of excuses for himself. That's one of the reasons he doesn't talk much about injuries. I've had this discussion with him before. And he goes, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I just feel like when you're, you're out there putting all this injury stuff out there, it's like you're making an excuse for yourself. He goes, you know, what we're going to do is take all the available players and put together a game plan and try to go win a football game. So, nah, everybody's all available. Everybody's healthy. We're all good to go, even when they're not. And there's a, I respect that. There's a certain level of respect that I think goes along with that. It's like, you know what, hey, here's the deal. And at the end of the day, why do we really need to know who's playing and who's not playing? I mean, honestly. I mean, is our loyalty to the program predicated on an injury report? I mean, who benefits must putting it out there? Oh, well, the gamblers. Well, you know, well, the average fan doesn't gamble. And why would you ever tip off your competition? Oh, this guy's not going to play, or this guy's kind of beat up, or he's going to try to give it a go. You know, I, you know, I, I think I would probably be a little bit like Mike Leach, too. It's one thing if it's a season-ending injury and we all know it. But outside of that, if it's, you know, bumps and bruises or a sprain or something like that, or, you know, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave you guessing, guys. I'm not going to do your game planning for you. So, you know what, guys? Now, we're all good. We're going we're gonna to be ready to go. Matter of fact, Jordan Davis is going with us to Liberty Bowl. Now, he's not, but that's, that's the belief that I would have. I would make people question. I wouldn't give anybody any tips, ever. If you ever played me in, in uh, poker or rook, you know. I'm relentless, man. All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about Texas Tech. Before we do that, let's talk about one of the greatest places to get a restaurant-quality hamburger, and that's Bulldog Burger Company. Got a lot of messages and a lot of pictures over the holiday break. People were uh, were in town or perhaps in central Mississippi and out celebrating the holiday season with friends and family, and they went to Bulldog Burger Company. Smart for you guys. A lot of out-of-staters who said, hey, we were in town to go see Grandma, decided to go out to eat, say, hey, let's go to Bulldog Burger Company. We had a great time. Of course you did. That's what they do. They specialize in a great time, whether it be a family night out or perhaps a guys or girls night out. You can go have an adult beverage or you can have a chocolate shake. But you got to have the spring rolls no matter what you eat or drink. Spring rolls make you and everybody around you better looking. It's science. It's true. Three great locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. 
Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. That's a great-looking location, too, if you hadn't been in there. Maybe you're in that neck of the woods doing some business, swinging there for lunch. And then, of course, the new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area. I continue to get a lot, a lot of first-timers said, hey, Steve, we've always wanted to go. Sometimes game day's tough for us because we tailgate, so we don't really go eat local. But we went and took the kids to Bulldog Burger Company uh, there in Ridgeland and had a great time. Of course you did. Of course you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's, let's unpack the Red Raiders. Now, it's been a challenging year for those guys. They do end up being bowl eligible, but it has not been um, a great year, shall we say. They got off to a good start, though. They open up with a 38-21 win over Houston. And, you know, Houston put together a really good season this year. They nip and tuck their way past Stephen F. Austin 28-22. That, that may have been a harbinger of things to come. That game actually was played in Lubbock, too. They blast Florida International 54-21. So you're back on track and you're getting ready to play Texas and Austin at 3-0. All right, let's go. And Texas was kind of up and down a little bit then, too. And then the Longhorns get out the, uh, get out the strap and tie the Red Raiders to the whipping post. It is a 70-35 loss for Texas Tech. They bounce back the next week. They win in Morgantown 23-20 over West Virginia. The next week, homecoming week, we're going to crown a, uh, a college beauty to, to represent the student body. Everybody's going to come home. It's going to be great. And then Texas Tech gets rolled 52-31 by TCU. Rough. They go to Kansas, take care of the Jayhawks 41-14. So you're kind of back on the on the right side of things, right? Think, okay, well, they lose four of the last five, guys. They lose in Lubbock to Kansas State 25-24. They travel to Norman and get shelled 52-21. They beat Iowa State, which is a bit of a surprise at the time, in Lubbock, 41-38. They lose 23-0 on senior day to Oklahoma State. Then they get beat by Baylor, the Big 12 champions, 27-24. So, again, it's kind of a heckle and jide. Heckle and jide. It's a Jekyll and Hyde type deal here. Heckle and Jekyll, whatever you want it to be. Uh, It has not been a great year, but it's 6-6. They finished 3-6 in the league. And you notice even some of these non-conference games where, uh, you know, we're not necessarily barn burners. Three and three at home, two and three away, and one and zero oh on a neutral field. And that was the ball game played. Uh, let's see here. I guess that was played. I guess that's the Houston game played at Energy Field rather than on campus there. But uh, you know, not a great year. And of course, they make the coaching change down there. You know. It just hasn't been the same for Texas Tech since Mike Leach left. We have discussed some of this before, too, and I want, I want to bring you guys up to speed just one more time about, you know, it, familiarity breeds contempt, right? And we deal with it, too. I mean, like, we're, we're probably hypercritical of our own players and coaches of all sports. Whenever anything goes wrong, it's always unacceptable, right? Those are the things that, uh, you know, sometimes we forget what it's like to live life on the other side, you know. Um, so – Let's run through a couple things here real quick before we kind of unpack the offense. Look at the Red Raiders. Let's just go since Mike Leach was there. You guys are well aware that Mike Leach had a really good stretch there. Really good stretch. Um, so, last full season, Mike Leach goes 11-2. and 
his final season, he's fired over that sham with uh, the James gang. Ruffin McNeil finishes up the bowl game, and they win uh, over the win the Alamo Bowl and into year nine and four. Okay, so the next year, I guess for the next three years, you got Tommy Tuberville, eight and five, five and seven, eight and five. Cliff Kingsbury comes back, a Mike Leach disciple. Eight and five, four and eight, seven and six, five and seven, six and seven, five and seven, and then he's done, and then leaves for uh, Arizona Cardinals, and then they're in the playoffs now, kind of sneaking their way in. Matt Wells, four and eight, four and six, and then he's five and three when they fire him, and then Sonny Cumbie goes one and three down the stretch. So it has not been a great run of football since Mike Leach has left, and of course Leach, you know, consistently a bowl team. And they kind of got it going late there, competing, you know, playing for Big 12 championships. I guess they appeared in the Big 12 championship game uh, back in 2008 and again finished 11-2 and that year. 7-1 in the league and finished ranked 12th in the country. They lose the Cotton Bowl that year. We're still, we're still having forgiven them for that, right? Because you know who they lost to. You know, without me even saying it. Uh, but the reality of it is it has not been a good run of football. And so they're looking to change that now, and we'll see how things progress. But let's take a look at the Red Raider offense, just so you guys can be kind of aware of who's done what. And it has not been, you know, a tremendous year offensively. Again, they've, they've had some games they have really, really struggled in. Other games have been shootouts, and that's kind of Big 12 football as we know it, right? That's just kind of how it works. It is a scoring league, to say the least. If you could ever have somebody out there that could play this a little bit of uh, defense, you're going to win. That's why te- Oklahoma always has athletes on defense. The Denver Texas always seem to find a way. All right, so let's look at some team stats first. They're averaging 30 points a game, giving up 32. We've allowed 385 points on the year. Rushing first downs, 94. Passing 119. Pretty balanced in that respect. 18 by penalty. Uh, 231. They have allowed 143 first downs through the air. Pretty leaky on pass defense. They have run the football for a total of 1,808 yards, averaging just over 150 yards a game. Strength of their defense is the the rush defense. It is. But, again, they're pretty balanced in that respect. Uh, Passing, they threw for 3,092 yards, gave up almost 3,200. 257 plus and 266 against. Allowed at 28 touchdowns through the air. Total defense, excuse me, total offense. Opponents had about 70 more plays per game, 70 more plays on the year per game, if I can ever get it out. Opponents this year had over 70 plays more than the Texas Tech offense. Allowing 410 nearly 411 yards per game. Uh, Kickoff average is interesting, for sure. Um, And we'll get to that shortly. But the return game, you know, they're not big in a return game, but they're pretty sound in special teams defensively. They're giving up just under 19 yards per return. You know, there's a lot of touchbacks these days, too. Uh, Punt return averaging eight, allowing over 11. So maybe it's a chance for us to uh, to pick up some of those, you know, those hidden yards in the ball game. They've thrown eleven interceptions. They have generated just nine. 
And again, that kind of goes along with the uh, passing defense, right? Average 48.39 punts per game. Punt average yards per game. That's interesting because these numbers don't really match up with that, but whatever. Uh, 13 to 14 field goal attempts. I don't know that it comes down to that. I really don't. Uh, Not very egregious penalty-wise, but um, averaging 44 yards per game and then allowing 52. So pretty much even there, just basically one, one, one penalty difference. Time of possession, that's been a real issue for them. Their offense averaging under 30 at 27.42. So you got a team that doesn't control the ball, control the ball very well going against a team that does. Could be one of these ball games where maybe we can get a lead and then get some extension and shorten the game on them a little bit and kind of make them one-dimensional. Converting 42.96% on third down. They've gone for it 28 times on fourth down, and they get it half the time. Fumbled 14 times and then lost nine of those. So they are a team that certainly puts it on the ground. Opponents have only fumbled this eight times and lost just three of those. So this is a Tech team really not generating a lot of turnovers. They have allowed um, 16 sacks, I guess that is. And then red zone scoring, pretty good, 40 of 44, but only 31 of 44 when it comes to touchdowns. Defensively, it's a little different for them. But once you get in the red zone, you score on them too, 43 of 48, and 32 of those 48 have been touchdowns. Let's look at some individual numbers here as we kind of get into the offensive stuff. Start with the quarterbacks. It's, um, it's awfully interesting, too, because they have played a number of quarterbacks this year. I mean, it has been almost like South Carolina in many respects. So back after fall practice, junior Tyler Show, I guess it could be Shao, depending on what part of the country you're from, uh, was the starter, uh, started four games, and then next thing you know, uh, Henry Columbi, or Columbi, these names are different for me, I apologize. Henry Columbi, maybe, but he has been very mediocre, uh, lacks arm talent, can't really push the ball down the field. They have played Donovan, Donovan Smith, a redshirt freshman, a good bit, and he started the Baylor game for them. So I suspect that's who we'll see. He's actually got 10 games uh, under his belt this year. 70 completions and 111 attempts and thrown two picks with a completion percentage of just over 63%. 929 yards passing, uh, seven touchdowns with long of 75, averaging just 92.9 yards per game. Interesting, right? So this is not an explosive offense, especially with a youngster under quarterback, uh, under center. And you got to think that uh, Zach Arnett's had plenty of time to scheme up some other interesting things for uh, for a younger quarterback here. I think that's the only thing that makes a lot of sense here is you go get him. Uh, the rushing game, you know, kind of by committee as well. Uh, Taj Brooks, the leading rusher with 461 yards, averaging 57 yards per game, six touchdowns on the ground. Uh, again, the, with the name here, uh, Sarah Doric Thompson. That's a new one for me. I don't know if I've ever known anybody named Sarah Doric. Uh, 10 games played for him, 420 yards rushing, nine on the ground for touchdowns for him, along a long of 24. 
Xavier White's played in all 12 games this year, ran for 300, uh, three rushing touchdowns, averaging 4.7 yards per carry. And so those are your three primary running backs. Now, Donovan Smith's a guy that will second and run a little bit too. He has played, of course, in 10 games, as we've mentioned, 125 yards rushing for him, but just averaging 2.5 yards per carry, two rushing touchdowns along a 13, averaging 12.5 yards per game. So he's going to run just enough to kind of keep you honest. So as you guys are well aware, uh, Eric Uzakama, their leading receiver, has opted out of the game. That's 705 yards receiving, four touchdowns along a 75 not going to play. And so that kind of evens some things up, too, with Martin Emerson opting out of the game, too, that uh, you, you're not going to have their most explosive receiver uh, to defend. Kalen Geiger is their second leading receiver, 524 yards, just to one touchdown, and that's a 75-yard uh, long for him. Miles Price, 35 grabs for him, just a pair of touchdowns, 40 long. And then Travis Kuntz, 265 yards, four touchdowns, and 75 is along. So they have the ability, once they get behind the defense, to finish plays. They're just not getting the ball out there to them very often. Again, the more you look at this, the more you think, you know, if this thing turns into a shootout, it ought to be really good for us. It should be. But when you look at some of these numbers, you know, there, there's nothing out here you look at and say, this really scares me especially with their best pass catcher uh, being done for the year. That bodes well for the Bulldogs. And, again, you got to go out there and play. That, that's the thing at the end of the day that we look at is you got to go play the game. It doesn't matter who's playing and who's not if you don't play. we got to go make things happen for ourselves. Now, kind of looking at some of these numbers, too, I think it's interesting looking at the, uh, you know, we're at the end of the year, and so everybody's got an equal number of games that have been played. And you can kind of look at this and, and kind of pretty good idea of where things sit. Mississippi State, 47th in the country in scoring offense, nearly 31 points per game. You heard the numbers earlier, Texas Tech not too far behind. They're 53rd in the country, 53rd right at 30. So we're basically scoring, you know, about a point more a game. So at the end of the day, it's pretty much the same deal, right? I mean – I, honestly, I think if we if we score in the 30s, we're going to uh, we're going to win this game, and I think we're going to win it pretty handily. Maybe I'm biased. Mississippi State third in the country this year in passing offense, 385.7 yards per game. Of course, number one is Western Kentucky. Number two is Virginia. How about that? Were you expecting that, Virginia? I don't know that we were. Rather interesting. Wish our boy Keaton Thompson. Love Keaton. Glad that he's found a place that he can play. I really feel like if we if he had stayed, if Dan Mullen had stayed, he would have been your quarterback. I don't think there's much question about that. I think he would have been your quarterback. I think he really would have really would have done well. They're kind of using him in a slash role uh, there at Virginia, getting the ball in a variety of ways. Excited to see his numbers at the end of the his career, kind of what he's done. And he's a guy, too, that I wouldn't I wouldn't be completely dissatisfied at all if um, he ends up making the National Football League. I think that he's a guy – I don't have any bitterness in my heart for that guy. Just the coaching change and a change in offensive philosophy just kind of made it you know, where he just didn't fit here anymore. And you hate it because he is such a good guy. All right, let's look at some of these other numbers, too. 
we talk about we're going to talk about defense a little bit later in the show. But uh, I I think when you've got three quarterbacks, it's difficult to put anything consistently together on offense. I think we've seen that. But Texas Tech, 42nd in the country in passing, 42nd. So not not awful by any stretch, but at the same time, too, not, not anything that's going to cause you a lot of concern, especially when you've got a younger quarterback behind the center there. They're just not going to air it out. It's a bowl game, too, and the staff, of course, is kind of moving on. That We could probably see some new wrinkles. There probably be some things that uh, – yeah, the pop-up that may be a little bit of a surprise. I mean, it could be some gadget plays, and it's a bowl game, so you never know. Especially for an outgoing coaching staff. It's like, hey, let's just go. We got nothing. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write 
six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Gonna lose, right? Let's just go out here and throw it around. Uh, Texas Tech, 75th in the country in rush offense, averaging just over 150 yards a game, as we discussed earlier. And so, again, not an explosive-looking team. But at the end of the day, it's a bowl game. You just you never know what you're going to get with these guys, and you never know you know who's going to be rusty, who's not, who's going to make a big play, who's going to turn the football over, who's going to get a non-offensive touchdown. Hopefully it's going to be us. But when you look at this game, and I don't think there's any question that most people are going to pick Mississippi State to win this ball game. I think this Texas Tech team, these coaching staff, many of these guys either have jobs, the rest of them are looking for jobs. And so, you know, how committed are they to this? You know, we'll see. You know, many of the players, of course, are kind of ready for the season to be over. Uh, but kind of looking at some of the, you know, the odds makers out here, because, you know, we looked at this stuff when it first happens, but uh, – most people now have Mississippi State as a 10-point favorite. I guess it's been pretty stable in that respect, but 10-point uh, favorite. I don't know if you're a gambler or not, but uh, Mississippi State expected to win this game. And, and again, who knows what's going to happen with these lines when uh, the COVID num numbers get out there, you know, because by that time, too, you, you got to figure, like, it's time for kickoff. It's too late to make any adjustments in that. So I expect State to win the game. I think State's going to do a good job kind of uh, slowing this offense system down. And, and we talk about, you know, we're, we'll, we'll have some rust. Well, they will too. But the difference is, you know, I think we've got more of an explosive offense. And if we go down and score early, let, let's, like if State goes down and scores on the very first possession, I think it's going to be off to the races. I really do. And I think it'll be a partisan crowd there as well. Time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Close to Blair.com. Blair has been a longtime friend of mine. I think an awful lot of Blair. Here's the deal. You can trust a guy like Blair. There are a lot of people out there that want your business, and that's fair It's because the world's a world of power, right? Everybody wants your business. But here's the deal. you got to be careful who you're working with, especially when you're dealing with something like a mortgage, something as personal and intimate as a mortgage where you're going to be putting your financial – information into the hands of another person deal with the guy that's got complete discretion 21 years in the industry top one percent close ratio in the country works for fairway mortgage recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage lending many of you have thought you know what hey maybe we'll refinance the home now's the time to do it get your equity working for you whether you want to put in a pool perhaps consolidate some debt do some other things around the house maybe you got a wedding to pay for who knows Blair can help you come up with solutions. That's, that's the business that he's in, is he is in the solutions business, and this happens to be able to, to close mortgages in that process. If, you, if a dream of home ownership is something that has eluded you, give Blair an opportunity to serve you. I promise you he can come up with a plan to help you get on the road to home ownership. Give him a call today, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. That's his personal cell number, too. And here's the deal. 
You text him, you call him, you email him, you send uh, carrier pigeons, whatever. You let him know you heard about him on the bond yard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. A lot of fees associated with closing a loan. That's some money that you can save. It's about a five to $600 value. A great guy doing a great job in a very complicated industry. That's Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. Now, Blair is a guy, too, that uh, doesn't always listen to great music. And uh, I, I have, in many respects, kind of become his sponsor uh, when it comes to kind of getting him off some of the jam band stuff. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to make him go cold turkey or, or work a program of abstinence. He can still listen to that. But we've got to work in some guitar every once in a while. And I mean, you know, some whammy bar, some hair, some pyrotechnics, some spandex pants. You know, we've got to work some of that stuff in to kind of balance it out. And so I thought we would do a special show today, not just in honor of Blair, but for, for a lot of people, especially the, some of you younger folks that don't fully appreciate, you know, there, there was not this real seamless transition from the Hollywood Strip to grunge. It just didn't work that way. And, you know, the year of 1990 was a year when music was really in transition. And so we had kind of the 80s metal scene that had kind of become bloated. You know, basically it was one formula, like you release some banger, get you some airplay, you come back with a power ballad, and then you come back with another banger, and then hopefully by that time you're opening for a major headliner, and then you record your second album. And so there was this cookie-cutter approach to things, and I think people really needed something new. You absolutely had to have something new. And uh, I think record companies realized that, you know, hey, there are, you know, we started with the the great Hollywood strip, and there may have been like 50 bands, and everybody was like packing up all their gear, moving to California, trying to make it. Well, then, of course, in the late 80s, early 90s, we had about 10,000 of these bands, and so it got really watered down. But that said, there were some great bands that kind of got washed up in all of that, and in many respects, kind of destroyed by grunge. Wasn't their fault. There was just a, a change in the weather when it came to music. And so there was something new that began to sell. And so record companies kind of abandoned the new blood of the metal scene and opted for, hey, let's all run to Seattle and find some long-haired guy that's depressed and has got uh, you know a final shirt on and see if we can't make some money. And they did. And there were some great bands out of Seattle. Don't get me wrong. One of my favorite bands of all time. Soundgarden out of Seattle. And people forget it was Guns N' Roses that took them out. A lot of people don't understand the evolution of grunge. They think they do because they went out and bought a shirt at Spencer's Gifts. But no, Mother Love Bone, Screaming Trees, Mud Honey, bands like that, they're the ones that really cultivated that scene. And Soundgarden had already sold about 2 million records before Nirvana had a record deal. So uh, let that one sit and marinate. All right, so here we go. Here are some bands, though. There were good bands that had some good stuff that kind of got washed away, and maybe you didn't know about these bands. And so I'm going to throw out a few honorable mentions today because this is kind of right up my alley here. But this is a great list. And many of you have probably heard these songs, and maybe you hadn't heard them in 20, 30 years, right? And so you're like, oh, I remember that. That was a great song. Well, here we go. So let's throw out some honorable mentions to the band Warrior Soul. I love those guys a lot. Probably my favorite track from them is a song called Love Destruction. They had a couple of great albums. Um, Last Decade, Dead Century was a really good one. 
Uh, there's a song called uh, Here's to the Losers. I love that song, too. Uh, it, that, one, that one's about people, you know, kind of like me. You know, there are people that, uh, you know, kind of struggle to kind of get things going, people that are involved in chemical dependency. And so it's kind of like, you know, I, I just kind of enjoy our diversity and the beauty in being different. Uh, there's a band called Love Hate. They had a great debut album called Blackout in the Red Room. They had a, that was the self-titled, uh, the title track of that album was a hit for them. Also, there's a great song called Why Do You Think They Call It Dope. Uh, Jizzy Reed actually ended up being the, the lead singer in Rat for a while. Jizzy Pearl, excuse me. When Stephen Piercy left Rat, I had a chance to see those guys. They were touring with, uh, with Warrant and uh, Bar 7, which was the spinoff of Tesla with uh, with Jeff and Tommy for a while. But those guys were good. Uh, but Love Hate is where Jizzy kind of got his start. Now, this is some, this band here, This is these next two, you can't find them on Apple Music. You can find them on YouTube, which is phenomenal. There's a band called South Gang. And you may remember there's a guitar player out there named Butch Walker. He is from the South Gang. How about that? Their debut single was a, a song called Tainted Angel. It was great. I still listen to that regularly. And then there's a band called The Scream. First time I heard this, I was on my way to New Orleans, heard it on uh, Rock of New Orleans. The, the song was Man in the Moon. And John Karabi, of course, eventually left The Scream and uh, replaced Vince Neil and Motley Crue for the self-titled album. But my favorite Scream song is a song called Outlaw. And so if you can find that, that for some reason they lost their licensing with Apple Music. So I don't know if it's out there on other, other platforms, but uh, I have the CD, and you can also find that full album on YouTube if you're on YouTube Music. All right, so let's get to the top 10. Now, most of these albums came out 89, 90, 91, and some of them kind of had a slow burn. Like they released in 89, maybe got some airplay in 90. And again, things were changing. Things were changing. Uh, number 10, and this sounded an awful lot, like this opening riff sounded a lot like something from George Lynch, who we'll talk about later in the show. George Lynch, of course, and Doc, and one of the most underappreciated rock guitar players of all time. It's a song called Inside Out by XYZ. Number 10, Inside Out, XYZ. Number 9, and this is a band that I really thought was going places. They had a commercial look, a commercial sound, and uh, really sounded good on the radio. It's a band called The Sleaze Bees, and it's their debut single, Stranger Than Paradise. Great track. Number 8, this was a band that Neil Sean from Journey was producing. And this album was called Double Eclipse. And there was a problem with the guitar player. So rather than go out and find somebody else, Neil Sean from Journey recorded all the guitar tracks on this album. So you can only imagine the quality of that album. It is an outstanding album. Whether you like 80s hair metal or not, you'll dig this album. But the, the debut single off that album was Bringing Me Down. They had, they had a cover of a song called Hot Cherie that is phenomenal. But Bringing Me Down was the debut single with Hardline. I remember going to Sound Shop uh, with my girlfriend at the time where you could go and, and watch a little TV and you could push a button and you get to hear like you know, 10, 15 seconds of a song or watch a video. I remember watching that and I went and bought the CD that very day. Number seven, and this is a band too that uh, maybe you're somewhat familiar with Mark Ferrari. I guess Mark played guitar for Keel for a while. And then set out on his own, was going to call the band Ferrari. And actually had a guy named Oni Logan sign up to be the singer. Well, Oni left to go join a project with George Lynch. We'll talk about them a little bit later. And so they recorded Cold Sweat. It's called The uh, Breakout is the name of the album. 
It is finally on Apple Music, so Roy should be able to find this on Spotify for you guys. The production value of the album, really not that great. Now, we go. We talked about the scream. Bob Rock produced that album. It was phenomenal. It still, it still holds up. But Cold Sweat's album was just okay. The, the, the content was good. The production value wasn't. But I went with, I could have gone with a handful of songs. There's a great, great power ballad on that album called Waiting in Vain. But your number seven song is kind of a combo. There is a guitar intro called Riviera and then Long Way Down. Long Way Down is the name of the song, and it's phenomenal. Number six, Ricky Rackman and I actually had an exchange on Twitter a while back about this. You remember Ricky Rackman that um, hosted Headbangers Ball? I said, Ricky, who's the band you thought was going to absolutely explode that didn't? And he gave me these guys, and he's right. I remember them. They're kind of a one-hit wonder. They're still playing today, but it's a song. Your number six song is 7 O'Clock by the choir boys they used to be called the london choir boys now they're just called the choir boys i guess over time we just got a little bit lazy but it's q u i r e choir boys number six seven o'clock number five this album came out in 1991 this is one of those this is one of the best songs that kind of got washed away in the transfer of the music industry and if I think we've had this on a top 10 list before, I think it was on like the uh, top 10 song you've probably never heard, but it's Forever Young by Taketo. Forever Young by Taketo. Love the guitar, love the vocals. And I love all these songs, but once we get into the top five, these are songs that I listen to regularly, even to this day. Even though these, these albums are you know 30 years old, I, I still listen to these tracks. Uh, number four, it's a band called Thunder. The track is Dirty Love, which is kind of a playful breakup song. Probably their best song. It's a song called Love Walks In. Uh, but I kind of didn't want to do power ballads on this list. But uh, Dirty Love is a banger. It's got a great opening riff to it. It's it's a very singable song. You know, it's it's a, it's kind of funny. It, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek in it. I think you'll, you'll dig it. Again, Dirty Love by Thunder is number four. Uh, number three, we mentioned the sound shop video board where you could go print get the sample this is another one of those albums that i bought the album cover looked great i said that's kind of intriguing let's hear what they sound like i push the button and then boom the band asphalt ballet is your number three band the song is soul survive and there are sometimes i'll listen to that song when i'm driving on repeat it's just one of those songs there there's some songs you connect with that's one of them for me number two one of my favorite albums of all time and I really believe, had there not been this change in music, this album, even though it sold a ton, would have been probably on the same level of maybe some of the mid-80s rad stuff and some of the Motley stuff, I think because the record company didn't really push it because of the change in the commitment to grunge. But it's the album is called Wicked Sensation by Lynch Mob, and that is Annie Logan leaves Ferrari, which became Cold Sweat, to be the singer for George Lynch and Lynch Mob, which was basically Dokken with a new singer. They had fired Don Dokken, and so Jeff Pilson and uh, Mick Brown and George wanted to continue to play together, and so they had some songs that they had written for Dokken, and they hired Annie Logan. And what's interesting, too, the, the legendary story is that George Lynch went to go see Annie Logan sing for Mark Ferrari's band out in, in L.A., And so he offered him a job after the show was over, and he goes, well, here's the deal. You can be in a band called Ferrari. 
or you can be in my band and drive one. And of course, Ani flipped and uh, recorded a great album and then um, didn't hang around for the second album, but it's pretty good too. That's Tangled in the Web. It's really good. Um, and then Ani came back. Ani came back. And um, in case you're wondering, yeah, that's who my son is named after. Even though their Ani pronounces it more with a longer O, I guess. Oni, Logan. But there you go. Number one, though, and this is a band, this is one of the great travesties in the music industry. And it is such a cutthroat business, right? So there was this band out of, out of L.A. They were really starting to make a lot of noise. And like if you read like Hit Parader magazine and Circus and all these, uh, these bands were kind of popping up out there. Heaven's Edge was a band that people were excited about. Odin, Sweet F.A. There were a lot of bands out there that were really cutting up. But the band that was supposed to be the next big thing, and they absolutely had the talent to pull it off. They had the sound. And I, to be honest with you, one of the biggest differences in this band and a lot of their contemporaries is these guys could really play guitar. There are a lot of people like the C.C. DeVille's of the world that you know, could put together some two and three chord progressions. And because they look good in makeup, you know, a lot of people go buy the record. Well, these guys had the image, but they also had the chops. And it's a band called Wildside. And they just recently re-released the album Under the Influence. It's remastered, and it is phenomenal. If you're looking for something cool to listen to when you're out on the road, maybe I need a new band. Let me try something different. What's the name of that band Steve was talking about? It's Wildside. The album is Under the Influence. And I could have gone a number of directions here. Their big hit was a song called Hang On Lucy. But the best song on that album is called Lad in Sin. Lad in Sin. Not Aladdin. It's Lad in Sin by Wildside. This band was absolutely tearing up the West Coast, the Sunset Strip. Things were on their way. They record the album, and then all of a sudden, Seattle explodes. And these guys had signed a multi-year deal with Capitol Records, not just some fly-by-night company, Capitol Records. And Capitol dropped them to basically put all their rock budget after uh, existing acts or new bands from Seattle. And so these guys just got washed up in the middle of it, really to no fault of their own. Didn't get any promotion from the record company. And again, this was one of those bands we've been kind of hearing about before they signed. There was like this bidding war to sign Wildside. A lot of people kind of likened them to the new Skid Row. Because Skid Row is one of those bands that once they once they finally hired Sebastian Bach uh, to be the singer, they exploded. And so we had heard of Skid Row for a while, but it just took a little while to kind of get that together. And of course, John Bon Jovi signs them. And there was all this buzz about the Skids. And you saw what Skid Row became. That's the same thing was happening to Wildside. It's like everybody was like, these guys are the next big thing. And they weren't. Seattle was the next big thing. So there you go. Some great tunes. And I guess in many respects, kind of the last dying breath of the West Coast metal scene in this list here. You know, and again, some some quality tracks in there. And a lot of them, you know, a pretty eclectic list there. I mean, the Choir Boys is really more of a blues band in some respects, but uh, a lot of connections with a lot of different bands there. I think you guys will appreciate that. Again, that's top 10 bands that were killed off by the grunge movement and really no fault of their own. It is what it is. It happens. Things change in life. All right, time for the next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of this show. And that in and of itself should be enough 
for you to push your business to Campus Bookmart. But here's the deal. I'm doing you guys a favor by partnering with Campus Bookmart because they're the best thing going. If you're looking for Mississippi State merch, look no further than Campus Bookmart. Stan and man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody up there will treat you like family because in their mind, you are family. If you're looking to outfit your family and latest in Mississippi State merch, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Lots of national championship gear still available. Maybe you've waited. Maybe you got frustrated by dealing with vendors that were outside of our maroon bubble. Now you don't have to. Deal directly with people that know Mississippi State. They know what maroon looks like. They sell it every day. Visit them at campusbookmart.net, and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's take a look at defense. Texas Tech, not a great defensive team this year. But also not one of those teams to you look at and say, well, you know, you know, they're they're not what Ole Miss was, even though Ole Miss is better this year. You know, you, you knew that there were going to be a lot of shootouts when you played Ole Miss. This Texas Tech team, not to that level, but not a great defensive team by any stretch of the imagination. They've got some dudes. You know, Big 12 doesn't really specialize in defense. This Texas Tech team, though, one of the – one of those teams, too, you look at and you say, you know what, we ought to be able to put up some points on them. Total defense for them, 91st nationally, allowing 410 yards per game. Those are pretty big numbers. And most of that is coming when the ball is in the air. I think that's a big part of this thing for us, is what do we do, you know, with those guys? You know, we know they're giving up, you know, over 30 points a game. We know they're a team, too, that um, offensively is going to be somewhat limited. So, you know, if this thing turns into a track meet, I think Texas Tech is going to be on the downside of this. I don't think there's any question about it. They're going to be a team that's going to struggle to keep Mississippi State out of the end zone. We've got to protect the football. Texas Tech 104th nationally in scoring defense, allowing nearly 33 points a game. So we'll see how things progress. But uh, I think this is an opportunity for us to win a game and have, you know, some, uh, you know, some opportunity to get some juice kind of heading into next year. That's the hope anyway. That's what we need. Texas Tech, 118th in the country in pass defense, allowing 266.4 yards a game. In case you're wondering, there's only 130 Division I football teams. So only 12 teams in the country worse against the pass than Texas Tech. And just so you guys are curious about this, the only team that Mississippi State has played worse than Texas Tech in pass defense, Louisiana Tech. That's it. Vanderbilt 114th. So those are games we scored a lot of points. Those are teams, you know, games, of course, when we didn't turn the football over, we did pretty much what we wanted to do. And I think that's what you're going to see from Mississippi State uh, tomorrow. I think it's pretty safe to say that, again, this is more about what we do rather than what they do. They're not going to be a team, I think, that is uh, you know, it's very good at keeping us back. 
Uh, Mississippi State 10th in the country in rush defense, allowing just over 100 yards per game. And I think that limits the Texas Tech offense considerably. I think we can make them one-dimensional. And, of course, if we can stretch it out a little bit, that's good for us too. I mentioned earlier that the Texas Tech passing defense was atrocious. About middle of the pack for rush defense, 143.7 yards per game, 53rd in the country in rush defense. Well, that's not really what we do. You know, we're going to line up and make you defend the entire expanse of the football field. So here is how they'll plan to do it. Uh, Colin Schooler is your leading tackler. Uh, 97 tackles on the year. Just the one sack, though, an interception, five uh, pass breakups, and 10 quarterback hurries, one fumble recovery, three forced fumbles. Number 17, Colin Schooler. Number 11, Eric Monroe. 80 tackles on the year for him, three and a half for a loss, three breakups, one pick, one quarterback hurry, and a forced fumble. This is not a team that you look at and say, you know what, hey, We've got to account for this guy. They don't have like a Sam Williams caliber type player uh, that old like Ole Miss does. You know, a guy that they can they move around, they can bring the pass rush. They just don't have, you know, that one guy you look at and say, okay, this is a guy that can wreck a game for us. Probably their best pass rusher is Tyree Wilson. Just 34 tackles on the year, but 11 and a half of those are for loss. And he also leads the team with five sacks and also has four quarterback hurries. Not a big TFL team. Tony Bradford, big number 97 defensive lineman, 31 tackles for him, seven TFLs for him, and two and a half sacks. So they are generating some pressure, mainly with their front. So will they be a little more exotic against us? That's the thing you just don't really know. Uh, Jalen Hutchings, another guy too, 39 tackles on the year, big number 95, two and a half uh, sacks on the year, three quarterback hurries. So... A lot of this is going to basically boil down to our ability to get out out in the pass pattern, protect a little bit, and, and the, considering that we're not playing with our our best offensive lineman in Charles Cross, maybe this is a good matchup for us in that respect. One of the guys that are really watching the defensive secondary is Daedragon Taylor Demerson. 58 total tackles for him, three picks, seven pass breakups, I mentioned Colin Schooler a little bit earlier. they got a handful of guys that have had interceptions, but uh, not very many. Outside of uh, Taylor Demerson, you've got, what, six guys with one pick. Pass breakups, of course, uh, Demerson with seven also leads the team. I guess he's third on the team, pardon me. Rashad Williams has nine, and then Demarcus Fields with ten. So they've got some athletes, obviously. And listen, they see the forward pass a lot in their neck of the woods. There's no, no question about that. They're a team that sees it a lot, and they have struggled. And a lot of that, I think, is attributed to the fact that they struggle to get pressure on the quarterback. Devin Drew is another guy that is pretty, pretty decent as a pass rusher. Just 31 tackles on the year, played in all 12 games. Uh, seven quarterback hurries for him. So, again, it's their front generating the pressure. Christian Merriweather. 12 games played, 49 tackles, four and a half TFLs, just the one sack, but four quarterback hurries. So, you know, they will bring some guys and try to beat you up front and then drop back. I, if we don't see a ton of drop eight this game, I'll be shocked. And I think what happens is you begin to kind of pick those guys apart. It's like death by a thousand cuts. 
And the next thing you know, you're really struggling to put somebody away and to get off the field. You know, that's the thing that I think about with us is if we just go down there and take care of business, I don't know that they can do much to stop us. I think you can frustrate them. You dink and dink and dink and dink and move the chains. The next thing you know, they begin to shoot a safety up and maybe you can get some guys behind the team, behind the defense there and make some plays. But, you know, listen, I think in order for Tech to win this game, it's got to be in the 20s. I think anything above that, if Mississippi State gets in the high 20s or in the 30s or above, Mississippi State's going to win the game handily. And I think when you look at the numbers, you begin to realize, too, this is, uh, there's a reason this team is 6-6. Six and six. You say, well, Steve, we were to 7-5. That's true. But if you look at the quality of our wins compared to theirs, I think you would all agree that we played and defeated better competition. Not to mention they struggled to beat an FCS opponent and Stephen F. Austin. So, you know, we'll see how those things kind of progress with them. But I, I think this is a team, again, that has really struggled at times to score, and a lot of that can be attributed to bad quarterback play. I mean, you think you've got your guy, you go to your second guy, end up having to go to your third guy. You know, you have an injury to a guy on your depth chart, and next thing you know, uh, you're having to put a redshirt freshman out there that, uh, you know, it's just, you know, really doesn't have the ability at this point to push the ball down the field. You know, how do we compare with, without Martin Emerson? I think the Cameron Richardson's a guy that proved against Kentucky that he's capable of getting out there and play. Not to mention, rather than seeing somebody's best receiver, kind of them scheming us up and getting their guy against an experienced guy, with their guy opting out, we're going to be defending, you know, the bottom half of the depth chart more times than not. The thing that I think about, too, with these six and six teams that really struggle to get off the field is later in, later in ball games after they have spent a quarter, two and a half quarters or so, chasing our receivers, you know, how deep do we get into their bench? Does that open up some opportunities for us to kind of put a game away late? And, again, I think State's going to win this game handily. I, I, think, I think State will have the lead at the half, maybe even by two scores, and then I think in the third quarter we – we really put some things away. I just don't see a way we're losing this ball game unless we give the game away. I think it's as simple as that. I think that's one of those things, when you look at these two teams on paper, it's not a good matchup for Texas Tech. They want to run the football a little bit. They're not going to be able to run it against us. And you know with a young quarterback, they're going to come out, try to establish that, probably script the first dozen plays or so just to kind of get him comfortable, probably have some – you know, some shorter kind of a controlled passing thing, simplify the reads, probably do some play action, boot off the right side, uh, do some high-low action, try to get him in a rhythm. And that's why I think it's so important to get them behind the chains. And, and they're going to try to win on first down, try to get the running game going. You, know, you put them in a second, 12, third, and 12, then you can kind of pin your ears back and, and go get him and perhaps force this guy into a mistake. I won't be the least bit surprised if Mississippi State scores a defensive touchdown. I think Emmanuel Forbes is a guy that has just kind of been itching to break out, even though he's had a good year. He still hadn't had that you know, defining game this year to kind of put some exclamation point on his sophomore season. This could be it. It really could be. Because I think if we get some separation in the game, get them out of their game plan, force them to be one-dimensional, the more times they throw it, the better chance there is of us catching it. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I like the matchup, and there's also, you know, the, this whole thing with Mike Leach, you know, even today he, he mentions, you know, about the money that he's owed. And that's still something that he plans to pursue and still has a legal team after it and thinks that people acted poorly. 
Apologize about that. Had another delivery. Uh, the reality of it is, is that Mike Leach has done his best in many respects this year to always kind of make the game about the team. He has said some things in the media that have kind of directed some of the attention towards him. And so we'll see how that goes. You know, I think an angry Mike Leach is probably a good thing for Mississippi State. You and I both know if Mike Leach can get 70 in this game, they're going to get 70 in this game. If Mike Leach can get a big blow out of Texas Tech, he's going to get a big blow out of Texas Tech. Maybe the last kiss goodnight in many respects between he and the Red Raider administration. But also, too, I think Mike understands how important this game is. You finish with a win, makes you 8-5, and five, gives you some juice. You probably rank in the top 25 because you're bringing the majority of the team back next year. Which leads me to another topic before we get ready to move on. I'm told that uh, Makai Polk and Tyrus Wheat will both get their draft paperwork before making a decision. They may already have had it. But, you know, we've had a couple guys announce they're going to go pro. There could be others. You know, you say, oh, Steve, what are you saying? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just preparing you for the possibility. I think both of those guys probably benefit from coming back for another year, and I don't just say that selfishly because Mississippi State would benefit from their services. I think Makai Polk is a guy that is kind of underappreciated. You know, Tyrus Wheat's a guy that was, you know, phenomenal for us this year. But I think both of those guys are probably just really beginning to reach their potential. And one more season, I think, could uh, move them up some draft boards. But Makai Polk, I mean, you look at the all-SEC list, and there are a lot of people out there overlooking him. And I think he's been unfairly saddled with the system. Still got to go catch a football, right? No matter how many times they catch it, you got to go catch it. And he's done a good job. But he will probably test the waters and just kind of see what it looks like for him, and then we'll see. Then he'll make a decision. He and his family will make a decision on what's best for him kind of moving forward. But be mindful of that. Don't just take an exhale here and think, oh, well, this is all over with. No, it's, it's not. There's, there is a possibility those guys may get the feedback that they want, or maybe they decide to bet on themselves and go. Uh, we've talked at length about Malik Heath. I, I was told prior to senior day, that's why he went through senior day, is that he planned uh, to try to go pro. Now, what happens now that he's had the car accident? You know, is he going to be in good enough shape to put his best foot forward in some of these pre-draft workouts? I don't know. I don't think he go, gets drafted anyway. But I think he's a guy, too, that is talented enough that he could sign with somebody as an undrafted free agent and make a practice squad somewhere. You know, we'll see. Or maybe he just decided, you know what, maybe I'll go to Jackson State. I don't know. But I'm not expecting him back at Mississippi State. You know, we'll see. There's always a possibility. But, you know, you're going to see some guys move on and be prepared for that. I've, we've talked about it since Thanksgiving. And we, we've only had a couple of guys go in the portal. But there will be some others. And quite frankly, we need there to be some others because we've got some other needs that we need to fill. We could use that scholarship grant. You know, if you've got some guys that are – you know, riding the bench and not projected to play in the next couple of years, it's probably best for both sides if they move on. And, of course, you can't just cut somebody because of athletic performance or a lack thereof. But you can have a conversation, and guys know. They, 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 they know the practice reps. They see the depth chart. You know, they'll see how things progress. But, you know, the reality of it is, is there will be some other people leave, and then there will be people that will go into Facebook groups and say, oh, my gosh, what's happening in our program? Nothing has happened to our program. College football and the NCAA transfer portal has happened to our program. And you heard Mike Leach 
uh, earlier today, make mention of, you know, is the transfer portal a good thing? Well, why don't you go ask all those guys that went in the portal and then had, didn't have anywhere to go to school? So what happens to those players? They just sit there in purgatory? Who's going to pay for their education? What if these guys were two years in, maybe three years in, maybe a year, year and a half away from earning a college degree? What are they going to do? And so now if you're going to finish your college degree, you got to go get loans or you got to get financial aid or you got to get scholarships outside of athletics. And so it's not always a great thing, but it is the life in which we lead now. And there probably needs to be some adjustments to the transfer portal. And I don't have all the answers for that right now, but there are a lot of people thinking, hey, Look at what Joe Burrow did. You know, Joe was a guy buried on the depth chart at Ohio State. He goes to LSU, wins a Heisman Trophy and an AFL championship, becomes first-round draft pick. That'll be me. But chances are that's not going to be you. Chances are you're going to be one of those guys that goes in the portal and all of a sudden you find out that Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Notre Dame aren't really interested in you. And so then you're stuck having to decide, you know, between schools that perhaps that uh, you felt that you were better than. There are a lot of people, that's what they think, you know, we just saw, you know, you know, Tyrese Chambers. He was a guy that we expected to transfer from Florida International or Mississippi State. Now he's decided, you know what, I'm going to stick here at FIU. I'm going to just make the most of this situation. Now, he had somewhere to go. And Mississippi State needs a transfer receiver or two. But now that he's elected to stay at FIU, you go back to the drawing board and try to find somebody else. And there will be some – the portal is going to fill up again here uh, after these bowl games. And so within the next week to ten days – business is going to pick up in the transfer market in a major way. Mississippi State, I don't think, goes back to school and think to the 15th. Dead period runs through the 13th. And so guys are going to have to make decisions pretty quick, many of them without even having taken an official visit to their, their future school. They'll have to see the, the campus online, talk to coaches and that sort of stuff, and then make a decision basically without the benefit of having the official visit. Now, if you're a lot of these guys, too, you kind of understand that uh, college life in many respects is the same everywhere. Some people have bigger buildings and nicer parking lots and that sort of stuff and a bigger student body. But the reality of it is the official visit, not quite as impressionable, I think, on some of these transfers other than having some one-on-one time with coaches. And you can still do that during the dead period. There is still telephonic contact between recruits and coaches. But uh, be prepared for that. I know you got a little bit of a uh, – of a rant there in addition to the defensive stuff. But be prepared that there will probably be a handful of guys leave uh, between now and the spring semester. And hopefully all those guys will find an opportunity somewhere. You know, Rodney Gross landed at Arizona State. And, of course, uh, Aaron Brule at Michigan State. You're happy for those guys, right? <laughs> um, you know, you had uh, you know young man leave us go to Southern Miss. You know, there's, there's going to be, you know, some of those guys too. and But there are a lot more guys that went into the portal here last year that had nowhere to go because they've already spent two years their eligibility so they can't go to junior college. So what are they going to do? What kind of life are they going to have without a college degree? How much harder are they going to have to work? So those are the things you think about and you consider. And that's why I think, you know, if we're going to always act in the best interest of the student athlete, there probably needs to be something some kind of adjustment here. And I don't think guys should be able to go test the market either. It's like, well, I'm going to go to Mississippi State unless I find something better. I think once you're committed and signed to a school, then I think you you stick it out. There are some guys, too, you look at and say, you only get a short time in life to play sports. I'm going to transfer out and move on. 
Uh, and again, you wish those guys the best, but many of those guys found out pretty soon that they're just, there's not a scholarship available for everybody in the portal. And I think in many respects it's hurting high school recruiting. There are some people out there that are really placing an emphasis on the portal more so than high school recruiting. We saw at Michigan State this past year. They had a ton of transfers, had a really big year. But can that be sustained? I don't think that it can be. And I think you're going to hit on probably 50% of your transfers and even half of those guys that, that are starters or contributors are going to be impact players. And so I think eventually the numbers kind of catch up with you. All right, let's thank our friends at Portico. I told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. The convenience to campus is outstanding. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Very easy to find, but also kind of tucked away where you've got a little privacy, if you know what I'm saying. So you're close enough to campus for convenience, but far enough away to live a quiet life. Very easy to get to. You turn off 82 on a 12, and the very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll take you across Old West Point Road. Boom, there's Portico. That's how close it is. You could run to campus, 1.1 miles away. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home, up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And phase one, completely sold out. Phase two, construction on that's about to get up and running. So maybe you're not ready to move now. Maybe you're looking to move after the school year. Maybe you're thinking, hey, we want to make a move this summer. And our kids can start going to Starkville Academy or Starkville High School or Starkville Christian. But we don't want to move in a school year. Well, this may be your opportunity because this is going to sell out pretty quickly. That's Portico. Call our friend Brooks Bryan. He's my friend. He's your friend. He's a friend of Mississippi State, former Diamond Dog, Brooks Bryan. Phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, I want to wind up the show giving you guys an update on Dogpile. I had hundreds of messages in the last few weeks, and I would say 99% of people were very nice and understanding. And uh, not everybody listens to the show. Not everybody subscribes to Gene's page. Not everybody follows me on social media, which kind of begs the question, how they found out about the book in the first place? But uh, the reality of it is, is there is this big national paper shortage, and in fact, it's going to, our costs are going to go up from what my publisher tells me, when we do subsequent reprints. We're actually uh, considering some other options, some other printers, and even a, a, a printer here in the state of Mississippi because we need a faster turnaround time because we know this book is going to sell well. Uh, we, we've already sold thousands of books already, and we suspect probably within the first 30 days of this thing being on the market, it's going to exhaust the inventory. And so they're going to have to turn this thing around pretty quick. And so we don't want to be in a situation where the book is released and all of a sudden we sell out of books and then people have to wait a month or more uh, to get new inventory. And, you know, that just leads to more frustration. Uh, it's my name on the book, and that's one of the things that I brought up when all this talk about potential delays came along is that I'll be the guy having to handle all this. Uh, and you guys have been very patient. And uh, I know many people sent me pictures of their IOU. <laughs> that they unwrapped on, on uh, Christmas Day. I apologize for that. I did everything that I knew to do. Uh, the reality of it is, is there's sometimes they're just kind of beyond my control. I got done writing August 26. So that's four months ago. Four months ago, I got done writing. Ordinarily, we have books in six to eight weeks, sometimes 10 weeks. Guys, we're four months. The good news is, is we're about four weeks away now from release. That's what they told me today that the estimated ship date from the printer to the publisher uh, has a January date on it. It's late January, 
And then here, so here's what will happen. It'll get to the publisher, and then the publisher will then uh, receive that inventory in, and then I will go and sign books, thousands of books, until we're completely done with all of the pre-orders and the personalizations. That's going to be taken care of first. And then we'll sign stock for all the bookstores, and that will be taken care of second. And uh, while all that's being taken care of, your books will be packaged and mailed out. And so it is very frustrating for me because I am a very task-oriented person, and I, I expect other people to be. But this is a situation where I did my part, my agent did his part, the publisher did their part, the editors did their part, the layout people did their part, and then we find out that there is a national paper shortage. And supposedly it all boils down to, like Michigan is one of the biggest paper suppliers in the Midwest, and that's where the book's being printed. And so many of these people that work in that industry are able to basically make almost the same amount of money do unemployment benefits as they would getting out and hauling pupwood. And so as a result, there is, there's a lot of trees that are still standing that ordinarily wouldn't be. They would be getting, you know, cut down and processed and turned into books and paper and things like that for you guys. Well, that's just not happening at, at the, the rate that it once was. And that's why it's so important we got to get America back to work because we're having these supply chain issues. And it's like, you know, you don't think it's real until it happens to you. I see pictures all across the country and it's like, well, you know, usually, you know, before a big holiday weekend, you look at those shelves and of course they sell all the hot dog uh, buns, right? And people are taking pictures. There's nothing to eat here. Well, you don't, you don't think it's real. I didn't, you know, I was like, you know, I can take a picture anytime, you know, maybe that was taken during the quarantine, who knows? But the reality of it is, is that's what's happened. And uh, it slowed everything down. So when it all gets down to it, instead of taking six to eight weeks, it's going to take five months five months from the time that I finished writing the book until it's printed. So again, we're looking for other options for the next few reprints because there will be additional printings of this book and uh, maybe with a different printer. And so hopefully we can leverage that to, to get this stuff handled. But it's like when they first mentioned to me that it wasn't going to, so it's like, let me back up a second. So they told me the thinking was, is if we get the book finished by September 15th, that uh, that would give us two and a half months to have in time for Christmas. Now, based on our our recent experiences over the last four years, we figured that gave us plenty of room to work. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe it'll be late November, maybe early December, and we still felt like we'd be okay. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call one day and says, hey, it doesn't look like it's going to make it before Christmas. They're still working. You know, things are trying to move some things around. As a matter of fact, my publisher has other books that he told them to kind of push behind Dogpile because that was the urgency for us. And I take all this stuff very personally. I do, and, and you guys are always so great. Steve, we understand, and, and it's so sweet of you to do that. But it's my name on the book. You know, nobody is messaging the printer. Nobody's messaging the publisher. They're messaging me, and, and I, I return every message, and I don't just copy and paste them. Sometimes I may have done a couple when I had a bunch in, in one day, but like – you know, last week I had people that were constantly messaging saying, hey, what, can you give us an update? And it's like, it's clear it's not going to make it. And I said, yeah. And I had somebody else said, hey, I just wanted to make sure that uh, somebody else wasn't trying to profit off my name and set up some other website that wasn't really related to the book. Well, that's not the case either. So Dogpile the Book is the right website. And so many of you got Flim Flam or Stark Villains or Alpha Dogs for Christmas, and you were so gracious of, of sharing those pictures with me. And it means a lot to me to see all that. Had a lot of people also that shared uh, that they got Stark Villains gear. 
one one family down in South Mississippi, everybody in a picture had on a Stark villain hoodie. So thank you for that. That means a lot to me. And I appreciate you guys so much for being involved in uh, kind of spreading the brand. And so that's where we are with Dogpile. And as I get more information, I will share it with you. So I would say about 30 days, you know, they're, they're saying they're going to ship late January. It usually takes a couple days. And then it'll take me a couple days to sign all those books. And that's all that I'll do. I'll disappear from Gene's page for a couple days. And uh, we'll write, we'll sign all those books, and we'll get them in the mail to you. And then, you know, it's being shipped uh, media, so that'll take a couple days too. And so I would suspect if you have pre-ordered Dogpile, you're going to get it around the 1st of February, somewhere the first few days of February. That's when it should be in your mailbox. And that's a long way from August 26, and that's a long way from us winning the NAFL championship back uh, in July. But at the end of the day, I did the best that I could do and if that's not enough for some people, all I can do is apologize. But uh, there are things that are kind of beyond my control. And uh, I'm doing my best to kind of navigate this as best we can. Uh, because, again, once I delivered the final manuscript, then I'm done. Like, I don't, I'm not involved in the layout of the book. I'm not involved with the printing. Uh, not involved with publication. I'm just the writer. And sometimes I think people, you know, they see things on social media and think, oh, well, you know, Steve's just got all these books in his garage. And that's just not the case. You know, there's a warehouse that houses all these books that I've written. And then, uh, you know, I go sign a bunch of books on occasion. And uh, when you guys order books through the website and you ask for personalization, then either my agent comes to me or I go to them. And I'll go sign the books and we put them in the mail to you. So it's not like they're just sitting around in my garage collecting dust waiting for uh, for me to mail them. Trust me, if um, if they were here, I would have spent the better part of the Christmas break putting them in the mail to you. I may have even went out and hand-delivered some of them because I'm so eager for this book to be on the market and I'm so ready for you guys to have it. I worked exceptionally hard on this. And so I think it's important that uh, you guys kind of know what's going on. So no need to message between now and the middle of January, okay, because it's not going to be here by then. Now, there was the last two books that I wrote, they actually delivered a couple days early. But I again, I don't expect that until the end of January. And once I get that, I will tell you guys here and keep you guys apprised. And if you hadn't done so, you can go to Dogpile the Book and you can pre-order the book. You can order Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam right now, or you can find Blooms of Oleander through Amazon. You don't have to wait on that at all. Uh, they'll go ahead and send that right out to you. And so everything else is in the inventory. Everything else that I have written other than Dogpile is available for purchase now. And so if that's what you're looking for, you can find it. And uh, again, just want to take some time today just to kind of explain where we are and how we got here and what you can expect kind of moving forward. But I thank you guys so much for your support and uh, be back with you guys on Wednesday, hopefully recapping a big Mississippi State win over Texas Tech. Looking forward to that. Hope to see many of you guys out in Memphis uh, tomorrow evening as the Bulldogs take on Texas Tech in our 25th bowl game in the Liberty Bowl. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.